Welcome to the Connected Commute podcast from Bolden Networks. Bolden Networks is unlocking the power of an interconnected future by bringing you insights in transport from around the globe. Today, Chris Bichette from Bolden Networks is talking to Alex Hornby. Alex is currently the Managing Director of McGill's Bus Group, the largest independently run bus and coach operator in the UK. Previously, Alex led Transdale Blaisfield and played a huge role in creating some of the UK's best bus routes. Alex is of course a strong believer in the role of public transport as a key economic and social enabler, making his bus operations a genuinely desirable mode of transport. Hi everyone, we're back again. Uh, this time we've got Alex Hornby on with us. Uh, Alex is the managing director at uh, McGill's Bus Group in in uh, the UK. And uh, Alex has a very interesting background uh, in terms of buses. We've had some discussions about buses to date. And uh, I think we started off with the question of uh, why aren't buses sexy? Well, um, Alex has the solution for us. Alex, welcome. Thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Perhaps you could go into a little background. You have an interesting background in in buses and, and what you've done with them. Perhaps you could give us a little background on how you got to this point and uh, how you are now leading the largest bus, private bus organization in the UK. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I suppose my, I mean, I've had a 20-year career in the bus industry, but my experience with buses, I, I was brought up to be a bus user from the age of, from the age of three and four. And I think it was an interest that stood with me. My, my, I was, I was brought up a lot with my grandparents because my mum and dad were busy working and we always went, they went everywhere on buses, they didn't have a car, went everywhere on buses. So I got used to actually not being car dependent, if that makes sense. And so I, I, I had buses in, in my blood, I suppose you could say. Um, so I did my work experience at my local bus depot. I did transport management from a degree at university. Um, and I guess I learned, I learned through those processes as well that while buses fascinated me, the thing that really got me to enjoy um, working in buses was the people aspect because actually whilst, as I thought at the time, buses and bus networks and transporting people around, at, um, navigating people around cities and towns was interesting, the people angle was the bit that was most interesting because we we move millions of people around, we enable people to move, to live their daily lives and we employ lots of people as well. And I realized that actually I quite like dealing with people. Um, so yes, I, that led me to um, start my career at Stagecoach, one of the one of the biggest uh, listed uh, bus and rail um, companies at the time um, in the early 2000s. Um, I then um, got um, a, a very interesting offer to then go and run um, a company called Blue Star, which was owned by the Go Ahead Group from uh, a young age, which which wasn't just in operations, it was around commercial and seeking out new opportunities. And essentially that was around um, attempting to rescue a business that was that was in that was in difficulty, um, which which um, me and the great people I work with managed to do. Um, and then um, at the age of 28, I became commercial director of Trent Barton, which is a, a large family-owned company, independently owned um, in the East Midlands. Um, we had a real speciality in, in dealing with the customer and using the driver as a focus to deliver great customer service, amongst other things. But a very retail, a much more retail focus in terms of how you deliver buses. Um, Trent Barton were considered some, some of the, sort of one of the key leaders of that at the time. Um, and then after that, I spent eight years as chief executive of, of Transdev Blazefield, a regional northern operator in the UK, 
um, with around um, 500 buses in Northern England. And then that then led me to um, um, to where I am now, which is a couple of months ago, taken up as Group Managing Director for McGill's, which are the biggest, um, as you say, biggest privately owned independent bus operator in the UK, um, largely covering um, um, uh, huge swathes of Scotland, but a real diverse portfolio in terms of local bus leisure products in terms of open toppers and uh, open top vehicles and coach coaching um intercity operations on behalf of uh Flixbus. Um um and um and a, a whole a whole range of, of other things as well. So clearly that there's 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 no dead time here. There's there's always an interesting time of year because there's always something going on. Um uh, but yeah, yeah. Um I've had I've had quite a fascinating um fascinating time in my career with some great people. So, so rail tends to get the visibility in in popular culture, but you you grew up a bus spotter. <laughs> you could say that absolutely, um, and and I think that's right. I think this was one of the big challenges, um, particularly politically in the UK, is that rail gets all the attention, but but bus has the, you know over three times, if not more, the amount of usage. Um, and, and just on that, I mean, I would regard that what happened a few years ago. Um, Boris Johnson, our prime, our prime minister at the time, um, obviously, you know, a divisive character. But I always think that Boris was one of the first politicians to truly recognise that that, um, that the bus user is a voter, um, and really started to be so enthusiastic about buses. I remember the first um, national bus strategy, one of the first national bus strategies the country ever had, was introduced by Boris. And I think his first line was how much he loved buses, and it was like this was this, you know, that that bit was great, you know. <laughs> There were several other things that happened that weren't so great, like him telling people not to use buses during the pandemic. But yes, um, and, and I think we were really heartened by that because, as you say, the fascination has mostly been with with rail. And I think I've always come to understand that every mode has a part to play, and it would be just be great if buses were able just to 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 compete and be heard on the on the same level as those modes. Because I think then, as 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 bus companies and bus operators. We might be a little more humble in where we expect ourselves to be as well, um, because sometimes we think we're trying to fight to get car users, or, or sometimes fight amongst other bus operators for users. Whereas actually, it's about ensuring just we're 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 part of the mix and we're seen as a to be a to be to be a worthy choice, and it's something that you feel like you you want to choose to use as opposed to something you have to use. And it's all part of that, you know, des, you know, creating desire to, to to travel rather than it, it feels something that. You feel compelled you have to use because you haven't got any of the choice, and I think that's something I've always motivated me around how you position buses in that sense. Well, what to use versus have to use is a is a sentence that comes up regularly for us. So, um, but you uh, have the reputation of actually making buses desirable forms of transport. That's an exact quote we've gotten about you. Thank you. Um, tell it. Tell us what makes you different. Um, well, I think it's it's being truly customer centric. Like I really believe, like because I travel on buses and I like talking to customers, even customers that say bad things about us. You, you learn much, as you know. I'm sure you know you learn just as much from the negatives as, as you do as the positives. And I do get a real kick out of buses solving problems, not just for individual customers, but for towns, cities, regions, politicians. Um, you know, big tribes of customers like employers, colleges, schools, universities. I really love that idea that buses are like front and centre at solving that problem uh, because it takes us out of just being seen as a mode of transport, but this 
real sort of economic enabler and a, and, a, and, a, and a real force. And that's something that's always excited me. And I know that to do that, you can't therefore just turn up with a bog standard bus and not tell everyone and be quiet about it and hope to God that everyone will come and rush to you. So I've always believed in that idea that it's got to be something that the customer enjoys using. Like I always say, my aim is that the bus should be one of the highlights of your day. The interaction with the driver, you should like go into work and say, that bus driver was great I had today or that bus was so comfortable or I got so much done on the bus because you know the Wi-Fi was working and I plugged my phone in or whatever it might have been. And, and I just like the idea that hopefully other people get as excited about buses as what, as what we feel like. And it has to be that desirable product. It has to be something that you 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 use and you travel on that you then go back and say, I'm proud to use that. And I don't mind telling my friends or my relatives or the people down the pub that I use the bus, however, whatever community you want, you want to talk about. And so I really like the idea that, and I think, as I say, to do that, you have to therefore do something special to enable people to evoke those feelings and you evoke that level of... Um, recommendations and you 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 make sure people become real 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 promoters of what you do that's uh you, you discussed talking with the people that was that's uh andy byford's magic <laughs> uh he's he led uh toronto new york tfl and he i don't think he's ever had a driver's license he he would ride ride the transit every day wear his name tag and encourage people to talk with them and tell them their feedback. And and uh, is that is that the magic sauce? I think it's a very key part. It's a key ingredient, absolutely. Because I think again, it's got to be something you're proud to use. And I know when I travel um, on my buses, which I do often in other people's buses, um, that you you have to feel proud of it. And I often, when I do travel um, on 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 the bus. I do come away with more actions. It's like the worst thing that could happen, particularly in a working day, because you're not in your office, so you're you're away from some of your work. You then go on a bus, and you come away with even more work to do, because I think I always like to challenge things to be better. Um, I'm, I am I am one of those awkward sods that I'm, I'm I don't think I'm ever satisfied. If you know me, I always think we did that great, but only if we, let's let's try and let's try and make it even better again. I have found as well after 20 years industry, I found it not not easy, but it was easier finding ideas at the beginning of a career. And when you get to 20 years in it, it's getting more and more difficult to find those ideas, particularly because I'm getting old and I don't and and and, and you seem to find more ideas when you're young than you're younger and you you have that. But but yeah, I think you need that. Um, I think you have to challenge. You always have to feel like you're challenging something to create it better. And I think you, you only get that if you truly get out there and truly experience your product. You can't design incredible products for other customers to enjoy if you can't be bothered to go and attempt to enjoy it yourself. Absolutely. When you're older, your perspective changes. And when you're younger, your spirit hasn't been quite crushed yet with the defeats in trying to uh, enact changes. <laughs> and and you've uh, managed to be quite successful in that. And well, I want to come back to that. But before we do... Um, describe to us what makes your buses different. You have a different service than that is typically thought of when we talk about riding the buses. I think one of the key beliefs I have is that buses are inherently local, and I think one of the one of the one of the first things to get people to truly buy into it is they. I think they feel it to have some level of ownership or relationship with it, and I don't think often that 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 being too corporate, for lack of a better term, is a is, is the most effective way of doing it. 
So I truly believe in that sense of local identity. And the local identity doesn't necessarily have to be ultra-specific to a town or a city, but it just has to be something that means something to the, to its users. So it can be about what they're using it for or why or the type of people that are using it, whatever it may be. So I think that that's the first thing that, that, that we start out, truly believe in the power of local identities. Um, that also helps with information as well because it, um, uh, and communication because it makes the user, um, it, it, it makes the product easier to identify for them and pick out um, out of a sea of options that they, they may have. Um, and then I think it's then about considering, um, you know, as I say, the the, the, the experience of, of the vehicle. So design a vehicle around a customer. I think all too often a, a bus manufacturing is you start off with a chassis and then you wonder where the seats should go and where the windows might go. Whereas actually, I really want manufacturers to think about you design a room and then you work out where the wheels and engine and all the bits that need to make it move go. I fully accept it has to be reliable, but I sort of take that as red. You know, when I pick a washing machine, I don't go, oh, let's, let's work out what's most reliable. Yeah, I take that as red that the bloody thing works. So it's it's things like that. And I think, you know, we spend a lot of time like sitting in all the seats and customers like to travel forward. So let's make the seats go forward. Let's not put seats there that people put their feet on. Let's not put seats next to walls. Let's make sure we don't put messages on windows so people can't see out. Just all those things that you you have to feel if you're a true bus customer that that you know would piss you off if you were to do it, and you get that as well. You often don't get. We do a lot of customer research, which I think is obviously a critical element of this as well to understand what you want. You leave a lot just by traveling around, and as you say, um, yeah, you talk to people, but you leave a lot just by listening to people, listening to what they moan about. Like you hear customers talk, well, oh, isn't that rattle annoying or? Isn't the fact this window doesn't open annoying? They'd never write that down on a piece of research, and they probably wouldn't even tell you it. They'd tell you if the bus didn't turn up yesterday, which, again, is another thing we we have to take as red. Often hard to achieve. It's, 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 it's the customers don't want to demand that the bus turns up. But, again, I'm not trying to gloss over those things, but all those things you have to take as red. You have to put a lot of effort into that and effort into attracting bus priority and creating realistic timetables and all that. Absolutely. But then it's about doing the extra bit that I think truly um, attracts people on, on board and, and truly, um, I think, makes the kind of buses that we produce different to others. You, you touched on a, a very important theme that we, we've we discovered and believe in and, and that uh, in transit, the, the solution is very often instinctively an engineering solution. You talked about how the buses are built and and and... Uh, we're increasingly seeing a turn, which is positive, but uh, we seem to have gone through a phase where the transit, particularly trains and buses, were were engineering-driven in the early days, wonderments or marvels of engineering. And then um, people said, well, people don't understand a subway map that looks like an electrical engineering diagram. Let's do it a different way. And so a more of a behavioral study science came into it and how are people using the system and then we sort of forgot that again and and solutions instinctively became engineering solutions it sounds like behavioral science and studying the passengers and understanding the passengers and working that into the system is is core to your your business absolutely and increasingly using technology to help you do that as well so you know i've always always believed in before um you know, before app technology became 
most powerful, you know, very powerful tool that it is today. But like, but still now, I still believe that we should have paper timetables that are attractive things that you want to pick up and look at, and they're easy to understand, and they're attractive, and they're almost like travel brochure style. You know, that's the quality of it. You you want it to be something that you pick up and it, it somehow stays on your coffee table, or it's it's things that hoteliers want to put in their uh, bedrooms and things like that. It needs to be that level of quality. You know, are you know, whilst whilst people like travel agents still produce travel holiday brochures which they still do why shouldn't we still produce things like that and i think the extra um reason why also is that we have um our customers and i don't like to call this ways but they're sitting ducks for that information because they're sat on the bus and the other thing i always I like about um hard copy brochures is that they can sit on the bus and the customer could tell them and they read them and obviously within that you don't just say here's a boring timetable and here's a boring map Here's why this bus is great. Here's the other things we do. Here's the tickets that we want to upsell to you. So there, there are a whole host of business reasons why it's a sensible thing to do. But but obviously from a customer perspective, it's just the right thing to do. If I can, if I can, if I've got opportunity to give you more information that makes you more loyal to us, I, I, I want I want I want that, and that's a wise investment for us. So there's that, and then then using technology to do it. That them the the benefit of technology that, that I like in terms of the apps that, that, that we have and many other operators have now is how you can personalize that information and how it's much more around delivering the real-time tracking of buses. You know, you can have your favorite stops. You can set up where your other stops are that you, that you regularly go to and you make that just so easy. I think a key, a key word that I love to use and I'd love to make it, you know, a reality is bus travel or any form of public transport so could be frictionless. It should be frictionless. You should not have to have barriers. You don't have to sign into things all the time. You should not have to remember a stop code that you use all the time. You should not remember what the stop's called because it's named after a pub that closed 20 years ago. It should be, I'm going from home to my aunties or to my work or to my school. And and we should use that technology to help us. Now, we're, we're largely there with that in terms of journey planning, in terms of routes and timetables. So you can sort of do that now in terms of... Now, the next step we need to do is in terms of ticketing, how can ticketing do that? How can I just touch my phone on and it just works out what the price is and I don't need to worry about that? And I think we're nearly there in some cases, but we're not quite there enough, particularly how it works on um, my operation, other bus operators, other modes, and even other things that you spend money on. And that's how transport then becomes frictionless. It becomes something you use and you pay for without realizing you had to put any effort into it. And instead... You're just focusing on the nice bit of how nice the driver was, how comfy the seat was, you know, how big the windows were, how I could see the view, or whatever we to do. How do we make that the bus travel feel as frictionless and feel as nice as all the other things that we do with our lives and spend our money on? I, I love your use of the word frictionless. This is a term that's used in traffic management a lot, but but it's it's particularly uh, valuable in transit, and it's and it's uh, it goes a long way to making the transit experience perceivably much more enjoyable certainly uh, you mentioned um uh you, you mentioned technology but you also mentioned a number of simple examples and and that's where from we've heard many times the best experiences sometimes the solution is very very simple we happen to be a technology company what 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 are some of the 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 technological solutions 
that you've implemented over your careers. So what what stands out to you as one of the one of the best changes that you've made? Maybe maybe a technical example and a non-technical example. I think in terms of where where apps have got us to, as I mentioned, and, and I suppose in some ways, without repeating elements of what we said, Chris, I think what I said sort of helps sum it up that by accepting that your customers are different, the, the, the one big challenge that we that I think we've always had in the bus industry is that our customers are all different. Um, we deal with a real cross-section of the population. So how do, how do we choose the most effective way to communicate with a lot of people? Um, I'd always laugh about what we do as well because we've got millions of customers um, and we see them every day, yet we don't know them. And we're nowhere near as effective at knowing them and understanding as what I wish we were. Like we should be doing things like um, understanding that if um, if Joe uses the bus on Monday to Thursday, but not on a Friday, and uses it to go to work Monday to Thursday, but not on a Friday, and doesn't travel the weekend, we should be what I say Amazon in. We should be sending him a message saying, "We see you do this. Why don't you have a free ticket for a Saturday?" and and go to town or go out at night and things like that. So that is a challenge that I think we, I would, you know, I would, I would like us to do. I think we would get, we would get in there in terms of we could, we can get the ability now to communicate to our customers off the bus in terms of email. So by getting people to register for apps, we've now got their contact details um, and we can give them their information in a, um, in an individual way um, and we can then get them to buy a ticket on that same app. So that's something that I think has been a huge leap forward because we're also able to handle our revenues away and it also allows us to speed the bus up because there's less um, cash transaction swapping between customer and driver. So there are these whole host of different things that have come for the ability of being able to create truly customer-centric apps and we just try to build on that. So in terms of, you know, that I think is a is an example that I think we're most proud of. Um, you know, it's, it's something that lots of other people have done as well. So I'm not trying to pretend it's necessarily specific to to what we do. Um, but by then layering that on top, so you know, we we now tell you know we can tell people what vehicle it is, what color it is, you know, whether it's got Wi-Fi, whether it's got the things it needs. So it's it's basically trying to. If more and more data we can put on the app and the more we can share that out to customer, the better. So what we're trying to increase to do is what more data can we put into the app that could then spread out? Like I want to get to the point where we're telling everyone the driver's name and the customer can rate the driver. Um, is Uber do it. So why is it so hard, you say before, about these simple ideas? That the simplest ideas are ones you can pinch with other people as well, aren't they? So there are there are all these things that happen in other in other forms of retail and transport that I think there are opportunities for us to use so I think that's that's been a great example of how things have how things have certainly moved forward in, in the past few years but the key missing bit to that as well is is the ability to buy tickets in that frictionless way as well so people don't have to think about it um I think in other forms of technology that we've used that I think we've, we've really tried to develop is in terms of um, um, next up information on board buses is telling people what time the bus is going to arrive at the final stop. Um, I think talking to customers a lot about timekeeping and punctuality is important because punctuality is the customer's number one demand. So I think the more you can mention that, the more the customer's thinking, oh, actually, the bus company cares that that it's telling me that we're going to arrive into the city centre at, at, at 14.33 or whatever it is, and it's telling me, it's reminding me, and 
And the fact it's telling me that proves it's caring about it. It's going to get. It's going to get there. So I, I love the idea of using that data on the bus as well. So it gives that level of certainty on it. And also, um, one thing that 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 what we pioneered in the UK as well was um, showing live bus connections as well. So at certain points, it also shows you what the buses are available nearby and what times they're leaving at and from where from. And then also doing rail as well. Now, obviously, as you know, here in the UK, we're all privately owned, we're, we're, we're privately owned operators. We're, we're not owned by the government, whereas rail largely is something that's more controlled and governed by, by the government. Um, and, and, I wanted to do those things before there was an expectation or regulation put on me to do them because it. I think it's important for the customer. And again, it's getting out of these these silos where we think we want to compete with everyone. Actually, the more we make public transport as a whole, um, 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 but the more we grow the public transport pie, I'd rather grow the whole thing and then start competing. So the more we can make public transport, um, accessible and interchangeable, irrespective of the mode or the operator, the better. So I think there's been, been really good examples of how we've used uh, data and technology in a way that turns it into much more um, powerful elements to help the customer on their journeys. So, sorry, I lost you there for a second. Um, so you, you mentioned government, which is a good segue to my next question. Um, you, you work, uh, you're a private operator. You've, you haven't used this word, but I will. You've come up with service, a luxury bus service that is particularly popular. You've had a lot of success. You mentioned speaking with customers, uh, getting to know them, all these, all these different, uh, avenues to improve your service and to measure it and monitor it along the way from all of the lessons learned in your career. How many of these are transferable? Do you think to a public setting there, there are huge challenges in the public side of things into a public side and 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 i'm in north america where transit is largely viewed as something you do when you don't have a car so is there anything in your career that that is applicable that provides good lessons on the public side where the circumstances and the environment are markedly different i would call in in many ways there's, there's probably two things for that, Chris, in terms of, I think, I think a big thing is motivation and the fact that you know, we're, in the, we're in the private sector here. We've got a real motivation, serve the customer effectively. That brings you good footfall, good income. Um, and then obviously, conversely, what we do is we, we, we manage our cost base as effectively we can. But it's really motivated. I find it very motivated, almost akin to retail, that it's in our interest to create the most effective service we can that reflects what the customer wants, and that's how we get more customers on board. And it's it's a sort of it's a mentality that has served me well in in my career and, and the businesses that I've been involved in. I think the second thing that I I see is a bit of a challenge when we've dealt with certain um, transport authorities in the UK who don't quite see that or don't quite understand that is that they believe in total uniformity. Everyone should get the same thing, and that makes their life easier because then. No one can say, well, I want a bus like that, but I don't live on that route. Now, our argument to that is, well, when we spoke to customers on that route, um, that's what they felt would would get them out of their car or would get them to use the bus more. So we created that product for them. And so it's some some element of it is that um, the, the difference in approach in terms of seeing things um, in a more individual and more individually customer-centric way rather than a standard for everybody. 
And I think that motivational piece about knowing that the rewards are there for you if you serve the customer effectively and they come back for you to then invest and do even more with it. So I think that's that's the challenge that the public sector has in doing that. And I, I've seen that there are, there are some good examples of, of some transport authorities that get that and are doing that and are brave enough to do that and to challenge that. But I think for those who believe that everything should just be the same, whether you're on the bus for five minutes or an hour or whatever areas it serves, you know, we, we, we do research. We've had some customers tell us, even though I'm on the bus for an hour and a half, um, I don't want a leather seat. I don't want this. I don't want that. But we've got customers in other areas, same journey types, but who do want it because they think that makes the bus more desirable and free to use. And they're more interested in the, in the, um, in, in, in the sort of more positive snob factor of, of this set of bus I use versus others who say, actually, I just want it to be really, really comfortable. Actually, I'm not really bothered about leather and things like that. But there are some customers that like that idea of saying, oh, bus I use has leather seats and I like that. So I think it's all of that. So I think they're, they're the key, they're the key elements to it is, is being prepared to be individual and letting your customers take you on that ride, um, with you. Um, and then there's also that idea of motivation. Um, and if it's, if it's your business, you're much more motivated to be entrepreneurial and serve the customer more effectively. This podcast is brought to you by Bolden Networks, unlocking the power of an interconnected future. We're delivering the advanced shared network infrastructures needed for a smart, inclusive, and sustainable future. From interconnected transit to venues, enterprises to smart cities, we're creating new possibilities in the way people live, work, and play. To find out more, visit boldin.com. So there, there are certainly differences in the private sector versus the public sector. Um, in, in, I'd say particularly in North America, the perception of unionized workers of, of uh, not wanting to stick your neck out because bold decisions are are much more risky in a political sense than uh, than just maintaining the status quo. Is it is there any hope of a public organization adopting the the things that have made Alex so successful? Um, well, I think you know. Remember, there was a time here when when the model changed. We went from um, went from public public bodies running bus operators in a, in a regulated environment, and then we changed um, after 1986 into private companies running in a deregulated environment. Um, now, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your point of view, we're in a we're in a period of time now where it might be going back the other way, which, from my point of view, I hope um, concerns me because the entrepreneurial spirit possibly will be left. Will or, or, or won't be there, but I think in answering your question, it's interesting when you talk to some of the transport authorities in in, in the UK, a number of which are deciding or, or, or working out whether they want to go back into being more publicly controlled. Um, some are looking in a very different way. There are some who want everything to be the same and everything to a particular standard, and that's that. Whereas there are some who are saying. I want some of that in areas that I think need that level of control, particularly, I don't know, in a heavily dense, heavily densely populated city environment. But they're saying actually for certain things, we might want um, commercial operators to provide express routes that are something quite different, that are longer journey time, require different levels of comfort. And, and one or two of you have said to me privately that we know we can't do. We know we need, that's where we need people like you to come in 
uh, where we need that entrepreneurial spirit because it does need something different that 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 might be a bit too um and i'm using their words not mine a bit too exciting for us in the public sector to try and to try and think of or to try and come up with so i think it is possible but it's all about as you say whether there's the right people there to have the vision and to be brave enough to do that um and i think there is a way of doing it if you truly understand your network and your customers and that's your justification for doing it but i think if you do want to go down the road of saying well i've decided everything should be standardized it's very difficult to to, to break out of that if that's how you, you you've chosen to position it not just standardized but i i, I would say uh, this is my personal perspective standardized at a low the bar is set very low in those standards yeah you create luxury buses Uh, my my perception of riding the bus is uh, a rough loud rickety machine that tosses you around Uh, it is is that uh is the on vehicle experience is that one of the cures for inner city transit I think I think it's one of them, and I think um, electric and 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 other forms like zero emissions, whether it's hydrogen, electric, whatever form it be, the noise and the vibration created by a diesel engine does doesn't help because it vibrates the bus, it reacts, um, it's, it's it's creates a noisy environment, and doesn't do much for that whole perception that 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 the bus is the biggest pollution on the streets, which of course we all know it isn't. Even the even the um, even the latest diesel engines. Are 95% improved on on where these engines were um, a few years ago in terms of harmful emissions and um, and particulates and so on. But I think um, I think the move towards um, electric hydrogen zero emission, whatever whatever from a pulchin is your favoured one, um, that does a lot because buses are quieter, they're smoother. Um, I think there's a bit more motivation on the manufacturers to make sure they don't rattle because the rattles really stick out when you're on a quieter bus. But I think as well, it's the idea of when you're on a bus, you should be able to think and talk to the people around you, and you shouldn't have to raise your voices. It's 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 there, and I hate saying this. But while I say that we should all be public transport and all things with each other, you know, I like buses to always be train-like in that effect. That when you get on a bus, you should be able to have a cup of coffee and put it down on a little table in front of you, and it should be able to glide, and you shouldn't have to worry it's falling over. You should be able to talk to the person next to you. You know, you should be. It should have it should have that light and airy feel that. I think rail often does better than us because it's control of its surface, it's in control of the lack of congestion in front of it. There are all those things that we're very deeply jealous of what rail could do. But the more we can put ourselves in that mindset, uh, the better. And I think, you know, do more with electric, do more to motivate manufacturers to create rattle-free buses, do more to create that sort of customer flat floor environment on single-decker buses and things like that is actually getting close to having a train on the road as opposed to it being a bus. And I think that, that all that I think does a lot to, to improve the customer the customer experience and perception. Speaking of rail, um, you mentioned earlier intermodal transit and the importance of working together, um, cooperating amongst the transit options. Um, one of our keen interests is stations, and uh, so stations are a place where you do change uh, modes and and different. But what's your what are your thoughts on stations and what are you doing to improve the passenger experience for the station? I often think that where we should try and get to with 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 bus stops and particularly key bus stops is should they should feel as important as train stations. And almost that's the same way that trams have been able to achieve it in a way that buses have not to because the bus still has 
this very, you know, many of our, lots of our busiest bus stops, I'm sorry to say, have a shelter that hasn't been cleaned for a while, has graffiti on it, and is, is, a, is very, very apologetic. Now, I say that with a slight degree of um, defensiveness because it's often in the UK, it's often the responsibility of the public sector to provide, to provide the, the waste environment. And really where I'd like to see where we've provided high quality buses, we've tried to enforce um, our designs on the, public, uh, on the public body to say, look, if only you had a shelter that was as nice as our bus. Um, and actually, we've had this issue sometimes where we say, you've left your nice house and we're getting a nice bus, but you've almost got to cross the occurrence of a swamp in terms of waiting for that bus. And that's, that's, it's back to that friction word again. You know, how do we create that frictionless? Do you go from the comfort of your home to the comfort of a of a, of a nice welcoming bus? Um, and it is, it's it's making everything lift to that to that to that standard. Um, I remember one of the previous operators that I worked at when we did research with customers, the the waiting environment was by far the worst bit of 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 the whole experience. You know, the bus, the timekeeping, everything else, it was a good like twenty percent difference when you were marking out of a hundred in terms of the waste environment. So I think the more we can do to make them more like rail stations, so they have that level of authority on the road as well, I think is good because that makes it, that it gives people more confidence to wait there. It, obviously, as well as it making it, as well as it being bigger and it making it more noticeable, all that, yes. But I think the more we can do around making them as hubs as well, so somewhere to park your bike, somewhere for you to rent a bike for onward travel, you know, Amazon lockers, uh, coffee bar vending machines, wherever else that we think it should be, places we can park your car. You know, actually, why why can't some bus stops be mini park and rides as well? And it's all that back to I think where we originally started was about this idea of inter intermodal, and intermodal isn't just um, I think the thing that we always try and aim for as well between bus and rail, but it's also with other modes, whether it be cycle, car, walking scooter in wheeling whatever it is you want to you, you want to term it and, and i think bus stops can be those hubs um that they're, that they're not quite at the moment you know um the the the, the little shelter on the side of the road it, it doesn't cut it anymore and why should it cut it for bus bus customers when it clearly doesn't cut it for rail or indeed tram travelers as well yeah you, you uh you mentioned um the, the the lack of attention that bus stations get. This is another historical oddity. Uh, train stations have been opulent, have been have been palaces, and they're 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 often built around the center of the city. The the city is built around the train station, and we don't give anywhere near the same respect to to bus stations. In fact, I think we underserve stations in general these days. We keep the historical ones as as icons of the community, but we don't pay enough attention to what's going on inside them. How how, how do we change that? Pretty later buses, but just in general, uh, we, we've talked about passenger experience. We talk about stations. You go to any conference; these things are very underserved in the discussions in the exhibit floors. Uh, I think we went to Inatrans and stations was mentioned five times in 27 giant buildings. How do we change that perception? How do we, it, it feels pretty erratic, but how do we initiate this to, to give this area of transit a little more respect and, uh, and, and, and to 
improve the passenger experience and maximize that available space because there's a lot of things we can do with it. Yeah, well, I think where you've got this, where you've got the space, absolutely. I mean, it's something that we, I think, struggle more with in the UK in repairs compared to other places. I mean, we are forever fighting for our road space for bus parity and for bus lanes and things like that. And I think, to be fair, that's, that's probably where we start when we're fighting around the idea of I want space. I want space so um, our buses can can run run like trains. We can run in as inhibited as we can, and we can give people predictable journey times and time tabling. Um, I think then, yeah. How we create bus stations that are more that, as as you say, you know, I, I can't think of many bus stations um, in this country that are seen as as important as you say, Chris, as 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 as, as rail. Um, um, I mean, I was just proud that when I ran buses in Leeds, that the bus station was next to a John Lewis. I thought that was like a real perk. That I mean, and I know that wasn't deliberate. I wish it was. John Lewis is a is a high level department store in the UK. Um, and I always said, oh, you know, the John Lewis, they built that next to the bus station. They didn't. It was the real way, you know, it was, or, or they did, but it, that certainly wasn't the reason because they then built a, like a great big park, car park next to it as well. But it's that level of, I, I, I mean, I care, I, I probably I care less about whether the bus station is seen, I, I want the bus station to be seen as this incredible cathedral in the middle of the city centre, of course I do. But I suppose for me, it's, if I can't have that, work and have it that the, the is that is convenient for the customer based on where they go in. Um and indeed I've had experiences to the converse so we're arguing with ourselves now I suppose is that is that I ran buses in a city whereby the bus station was closed and we were spread out onto the streets. Um and that actually made us more accessible and more visible because we were out on the streets stopping in front of shops and we were allowed into a pedestrianized bit of the of the city. And that actually it, our own footfall grew because buses were seen as accessible because they weren't hidden in this bus station somewhere. Um, and indeed, when when the brand new bus station opened that was a little bit more opulent than the previous one, our numbers went down again. And we actually saying, actually, can we go back out on the streets again? Because that was much better because everyone could see the buses when they were around, they'd driven into town. And as they were walking through the, through the town centre, they could see these buses everywhere that they never used to see before. And so there are all these arguments that you do have to try and balance out. But Certainly, I think the main point I think we're both trying to prove is just that that why why can't we give um, that idea of ceremony and attention and respect to the presence of buses in our in our in our centres uh, and along our roads? Absolutely, um, and and so to that end, um, we're trying to predict where things are going to be for for uh, stations in particular. But I want to generalise that question that. Uh, we'll we'll wrap it up with this. Um, what what are, what are your hopes, and where do you see things going in the next uh, six months, two years, ten years down the road? My interest is in stations, but in generally in in buses and even more broader in transit. What's your vision for the future? Well, I think we we have to accept that we've got a problem, haven't we? In terms of congestion, is a problem. Um, emissions are a problem. And I always say these are two of the biggest issues affecting um, our towns and cities, yet the bus is the solution to both those things. And often, you know, we get a bit negative around, obviously we, we had to recover, you know, the recovery from COVID has been difficult and, and we're still, you know, also many other bus operators, indeed transit providers are, are not there yet. Um, and our cost base is increasing as well, which is hard because uh, wages, fuel, all, all manner of costs, um, you know, engineering supplies all increase it. 
So you can get up, you can feel a bit down, but then you say, well, actually, we are the solution here. We've got to be bolder and, and we've got to help provide some of the ambition. We can't just sit there and wait for local authorities or decision makers to come to us um, with their own problems. We've got to be part of that of that solution. And I think that is making sure bus networks are as attractive as they possibly can be to people, making sure the product is, making sure our colleagues, our teams are, they're, they're, they're great with customers, making sure it's frictionless, all those things are said. So using um, mobile technology to 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 make bus travel something that if you're just walking with a mobile phone, it's telling you to do everything because it knows what you're doing. It's telling you what time the bus is before you ask for it. It's, it is the actual bus time. It's paying for your bus travel. It's working out the right for all those things that we're all seen as barriers. They're using mobile technology to help. Um, and I think then if we do some of those things and we create growth and we've got to call with some of that creativity ourselves, particularly UK's private places, we can't wait for people to do it to us. And we can't, we can't murder be negative and wait for handouts and all stuff like that. We've got to be doing some of this ourselves. Um, and I think then when it comes to the idea of, um, of, of, of stations, as you say, Chris, it's more this idea of creating mobility hubs that are attached, aligned, allied, whatever word you want to use, into the centres where other people spend their time, where their destination is. So um, the bus station is not seen as a, as, a, as, a, as a random destination in a different part of the city where everyone else is. It should be in amongst it all. So again, it's that idea of you know the frictionless word. Again, it's not this idea you've got to go 10 minutes out of your way to go to it it's actually where you do where you do your work where you do your leisure activity wherever it may be um and, and making them you know places again people people want to be um and really pushing that idea of interchange and i always make sure that within that it's not just about interchange with sustainable modes it's as much about the car the car has a role to play we have to accept it does particularly some of the the more smaller towns and cities that, that we serve over here in the uk um because the car will have a role for first and last mile, it'll have a role for convenience that will be very difficult to, to, to try and persuade people it shouldn't have. And so always thought the idea of um, bus stations or key bus stops being being park and rides and things like that without the, without the need to create um, specific park and ride networks, actually use the existing network with park and rides on it to help you grow the network in itself because you're bringing more people to the route because you allow more people to park their car there rather than trying to create something separate and specific. So I think it's looking at everything in a more holistic manner um, as as the transport, the overall transport network, placing the bus as a key part of that. So it's so it's something that people want to use and accepting that the bus does it is the is is the problem solver to two of the biggest problems our towns and cities have, which is which is congestion and and, and pollution. Well, Alex, uh, I love your enthusiasm. I love your optimism, and uh, I I really appreciate your view and, and your position in making things better, as opposed to uh, waiting for somebody else. I I I, I love the package. Uh, appreciate your time, and uh, thanks for coming up. Thanks, Chris. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Connected Commute podcast from Bolden Networks. Follow or subscribe on the platform of your choice to stay connected and keep up to date with the latest innovations at bolding.com.